Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, today we're wrapping up John the Baptist. We've been in here for, this will be our fourth week, and let me assure you that I could go on many more weeks. Uh, There's so many things that I would love to zero in on. Maybe later we'll do John the Baptist part two or something. But um, I want today to focus our attention on John being in prison because it's there that he has wondered whether he has wasted his life or not. I mean, the prophet, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who even baptized Jesus while sitting in a jail cell for a year had his doubts of whether he had wasted his life or not. Maybe you've been in that place at one point in time or another where you believed in, but all circumstances were pointing to you for you to doubt that. My hope is we find some encouragement from John the Baptist today. Because from the very beginning, we've been saying that everything in the story of John the Baptist evidenced the mighty intervention of God, including him being in prison. We've asked that question. John fulfilled his purpose, his calling in life. Are you fulfilling yours? And we'll see the culmination of that today in John's life. That that time in the wilderness is not a waste. As a matter of fact, it's often in the wilderness that where God reveals himself to be enough. Even if that wilderness is a jail cell. And last week, John the Baptist loved God above being liked by man. But that's easy to say and be when you're out free doing what you want to do. It's another thing when you're chained in a dirty prison for a year um, when questions come. And what what is happening really is John is at a crossroads of doubt and faith. I don't know if you've ever been at that place where doubt and faith are existing in the same place. And the phrase we'll work from today is this, that in darkness, doubt, and pain, Jesus sends promises that will sustain. Had to make it right. But it's true. He promises to send, he promises to be, he promises to give, but it's usually when we find ourselves in that darkness, in that doubt, in that pain, where it speaks louder than at any other time. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to camp out there today. Um, in Luke 7, starting in verse 17, it says, The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. So for years, John's in prison. He was there because of what he had said to Herod and about Herodias, what we'll get to in a second. But he's sitting there in jail, and he's getting reports from his disciples. 
Remember, he's the one who baptized. He's the one who, who saw the dove. He's the one who heard the voice from, from above saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes into the wilderness for six weeks that during that 40 days of fasting and prayer. But it was in that time frame that John the Baptist is arrested. And he's been there for a year. And now it says, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who has come or should we expect someone else? If you hear last week, we talked about what John was preaching about the one, the Messiah. He was the one who had the axe in his hand and it was swinging the axe and the axe was at the, at the root. He's the one who had the winnowing fork in his hand who was throwing the grain up in the air where the wheat and he'd gather the wheat and put it in the barn but the chaff gather up and burn with unquenchable fire. That's what John was preaching. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching that this Savior was going to come, this one. And in John's preaching, it seems like he had no room for the Jesus that he was hearing about. The gentler, kinder, sweeter Messiah. Where was the one who was going to bring the fire of hell, and John had a partial view of Jesus. Maybe some of you have been in that flip side. You have no problem with a sweet, kind Jesus. It's that judgmental Jesus who's going to bring it at the end. They go, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't want that kind of Savior. And so again, we only have a partial view. So that's what people want to do today. They want to put God in a box, and I'm going to, like a smorgasbord God, I'm going to pay a little of this and a little of this and a little, and put that together. That's what I'm going to pick for God. But God's not either or. He's all, both and. He's all those things. And as John's focus was this redeemer who was going to come to establish the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of God was going to be taken, and all of a sudden, that did not fit. And maybe you've been at that place where you have some belief of God about this and then you've heard others talk about God and you've got this. And so you put those together, but the only problem is when doubt comes, all of a sudden that put together God doesn't hold up. And we begin to question, we begin to think, why does evil seem to be rewarded in this world? Why do little children suffer? Why would he take my child, my spouse, my good friend? Why would he allow cancer or disease to riddle my body? And in John's case, why would he let me sit in a prison for a year? Why hasn't Jesus visited me? Or one of his disciples? Or one of my disciples that wouldn't follow Jesus? Chuck Swiddell wrote this. Secret doubts linger in virtually every person's life. They emerge in times of stress when pain pushes uncertainty to the surface and when despair crowds our confidence and faith. That's, wow. On such occasions, we may blurt out skeptical comments or even act out faithless and irresponsible behavior. These very human 
lapses should not be viewed as journeys into the back roads of carnality, but as sometimes necessary steps in the faith walk. The good news is that our Lord gives us room to question, to wrestle, to struggle as we grow towards maturity. I mean, John was a fearless preacher. I mean, he just didn't preach to audiences. He preached to individuals. I mean, he focused in on Harold, Herod, very much so. His lifestyle, he was an evil man, his, his relationship with Herodias, and he would preach that. And he would preach, as we saw last week, repentance. And people say, man, you start saying repentance and forgiveness of sin, you know, that's kinda, that kind of leans into that judgment thing. Guys, I'm going to tell you the kindest thing you can ever tell anybody is God will forgive your sins if you repent. How much kinder and compassionate can you get? Say, understand, there's forgiveness. This burden can be lifted if you only repent. That's kindness. That's the good news. But when he preached that to Herod, he didn't want to have anything to do with that. I wish I could go into detail about Herod, but, you know, Herod, we, we first saw the name Herod when Jesus was born because Herod gave the order to kill all the young males in Bethlehem. He's, he was a murderer. He murdered his family who were a threat to his throne. He murdered any leaders in Israel who were a threat to his throne. At one time, he killed every, all the Sanhedrin, the ruling body over the Jews. He was an evil man. And Herod that we see here, Herod Antipodus or Herod the Tatriarch, and the Tatriarch means the fourth because Herod had, well, Herod had 10 wives. This comes in. Herod had 10 wives and so he took four of his sons and divided his kingdom between the four. That's where it's Herod the Tatriarch. And so as he did this, the Herod here that John is dealing with the reason he was so up in arms is that he had gone up to take his brother's wife. So he had a brother Philip up in Rome. Herod goes up there, convinces his wife Herodias to divorce him so he can marry her, which means he had to divorce his wife. And his, her daddy got mad, who was a king somewhere else, came and attacked Herod, kicked his behind. And so still Herodias divorces Philip and marries Herod. But here's the deal. Herodias was the half-sister. Yeah, it should be. Wait, right? Yeah, you follow the chain of line. Herodias, so Philip actually married his half-sister. We have a term for that. Term for that. It's called incest, all right? And now then Herod says, no, I want my half-sister, and I want to marry her. And that's why John was preaching. This marriage, this, 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 this. And so for that, Herodias, all she wanted was his head. When prophets rebuke sinful kings, usually it doesn't fare very well, and it didn't for John. And we don't have time to go into that whole thing of Herodias and his, her daughter and everything, but it was a bad family. And Herod spoke out against them. I like how one author put it as John sat in that cell, knowing that Herodias wanted his life. Herod was afraid. He liked John. He liked what he said. He just didn't like some of the things he said. One author said, doubts buzzed around his brain like flies around his face. And what he hadn't expected was to be tormented by such oppressive doubts and fears. You have 
to see John as he's there. Have I led thousands astray? I mean, there were other false messiahs. I heard of them. And maybe Jesus is one of them. I mean, he hasn't even come to visit me. And maybe I've wasted my entire life. Maybe I'm here because God's judging me for announcing the wrong one. The thought of being executed for the sake of righteousness and justice, he could bear. But he could not bear the thought that he might have been wrong about Jesus. He had one task, to announce the Messiah. That was his job, everything. And if he was wrong about that, then his entire ministry was a wasted time. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where all of a sudden you realize everything you've done, everything you've pushed forward has come to naught, and you sit there, have I wasted my time? I invested all this, and now look what has happened. And that's John sitting in a prison cell. And so he sends his disciples, go. Ask him if he's the one or should we look for another. And verse 20 of Luke 7 says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who has come or should we expect someone else? I love verse 21 because it says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, evil spirits, gave sight to many that were blind. So he doesn't even answer them. He just goes to his work, doesn't respond. He heals, he gives sight, cripple or heal walking around. And so then Jesus answers them after everything he said, verse 20, 22. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John. What are you thinking? Of course I'm the one. How dare you doubt God or me? Where's your faith, brother? Remember the dove descending on me from heaven? Didn't you hear God's voice? I'm so disappointed with you, John. Now, for some of you who don't have your Bibles open right now, <laughs> yeah, this is the Tim version. Yeah, Jesus didn't say that. Yeah. But I think that's how we think he would say to, what he'd say to us. How dare you doubt me? After all I've done? Did I save you? Did I forgive you? Haven't I blessed you? And you doubt me? disappointed in you. In darkness, doubt, and pain, Jesus sends promises that will sustain. Because what Luke really says, verse 22, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. 
Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed are those who don't just want one part of God, but the whole thing, the whole package. A fuller view of the Messiah, not an either or, but a both and. And this won't be on the screen. The disciples go back to tell John. And it's right then that Jesus says, guys, there's no one greater than John. You have to keep that in the context of John just doubted who he was. And Jesus' opinion of him is still. Even the greatest and strongest saints can doubt. Because if we're honest, none of us are going to be spared sorrow. All of us are going to not make it through this life. And most of us are going to die not easily. I mean, it'd be great if I... Thank you, my wife. Thank you, my children. I'm going to go see Jesus right now. It's not how it works 99% of the time. But Jesus promises. He hears her pleas. And he's patient with our doubts. He does not condemn us. He's even forgiven our future doubts. In darkness, doubts, and pain, Jesus sends promises that will sustain. And the question I put in your notes is this. Is it possible for faith and doubt to coexist? Some say, no, if you have faith, then there's no possibility of doubt. I don't know what, excuse me, I don't know where you're living. Um, there are plenty of, I, I'm not a big doubter person. I'm kind of the, if there's a pile of crap, I'm digging for the pony kind of guy. I mean, I mean, that's how I tend to be. But some of you have been on this journey with me. I mean, this has been a, you know, knock, knock. Um, I thought I was supposed to go differently. Some of you prayed that it go differently. I've actually had people tell me, well, wouldn't God answer your prayer? I mean, you're kind of close to the big man, and I, I'm no closer than anybody else, guys, but God said no. The answer is yes, both doubt and faith can coexist. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 where a father brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. His demon-possessed son who continually tried to kill himself hurt himself. In verse 21 of Mark 9, it says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And parents, you got to read this from childhood. He's thrown himself in a fire or in water to kill himself. I mean, you have to hear the heartbeat of this dad. He has tried everything as any parent would, 
But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can. Everything's possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, now don't miss this, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Faith and doubt coexisting at the same time. There's a book by Daniel Taylor called The Myth of Certainty. And when he talks about doubting Christians, he doesn't even like the term. He calls them reflective Christians. Kind of gives a little bit more honor to the term. A reflective Christian is one who is thinking deeply, questioning often, and when we doubt, our minds are at work. I mean, I, I was the guy in class, especially at seminary, that had my hand up all the time and said, I, wait a minute, you said this last week and now you're saying this. I, I, oh, I question, I always question things. Why? Why do we got to do that? Why is this here? Why should the, it's not bad to doubt. It's not bad to, and you go to the scriptures, how many questions there are. It's okay. Because we doubt when we encounter, I've made a list, a sudden unexpected calamity when we pray for specific outcomes and the exact opposite occurs, when we lose a valued staff, coworker, or a friend, when we live right and suffer miserably for it, possibly when you graduate from college and there's no jobs or you get laid off. Of course, I've talked to several businessmen. I can't get people to work. They make, make, make money on, on, on Social Security or, or the government pays them. They don't even want to work anymore. When life takes unexpected twists and tragic turns, that's when doubt comes. Swindoll also said in an article I was reading, I fear that too many believers think they have captured the message of Christianity and placed it in a box marked on top, don't ask, don't tell. And on the side of it reads, off limits for doubts and questions. As it's okay to doubt. Sometimes it's necessary to doubt because if you don't ask questions, then you will wind up learning other people's answers. Does that make sense? I mean, you can tell your kid, you can tell a friend something, but it's usually until they learn it for themselves, usually in the school of hard knocks. I know, Dad, I know, and then fall flat on your face. And here's the thing about failure. Failures are not fatal. They can be great teaching times. Or as John Maxwell always said, he says, you're going to fail, fail forward. And don't get up right away. When you're down there, look around and pick something up. <laughs> Doubts can be a great teacher. Uh, don't deny them. Acknowledge that they're there. So how do we grow in our faith in the midst of doubts? Here's just Winning over doubts means beginning to live by faith and not by sight. I mean, that's scripture. That's easily, don't live by faith. Not, you know, I live by faith, not by sight. It means I'm not going to allow my faith to be disturbed by 
either things I'm seeing or the things I can't see. Because some of you guys are really good at, but this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen. And you get yourself all knotted up for woulda, shoulda, couldas. Guys, you can't live that way. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying don't think about, well, this could lead to that. You're prepared for that. But if I'm basing my life on the woulda, shoulda, couldas, guys, you always lose that game. You always lose that game. We don't just blindly swallow someone else's answer. We keep our minds and our hearts engaged in the pursuit of God's truth. Again, um, sometimes you just have to tell it like it is. Sometimes you've got to be the bearer of just, this is the truth, brother. This is the truth, son. This is the truth, daughter. This is the truth, friend. I mean, you, you've got to be that way. But sometimes you have to say, this is where I've walked. And this is... This is what I discovered through this. Because when you lead someone and help them answer the questions for themselves, it's their truth and not some bumper sticker you're handing them. And you, again, sometimes we're in a hurry. I remember one of the guys I was discipling, he was, he, he was being told that he had to be baptized to be saved. And Tim, I don't, where does that say that? And I could have said, well, here's this verse, this verse, this verse. I just said, all right. Let's do this. We're going to start reading in Genesis, and we're going to get a concordance. And any place that says H2O, any place that says water, we're going to look it up. That took months and months, guys, to do that. And at the end of that journey, it says, so what do you think? I mean, it doesn't save you. I mean, you should do it. But it's only these couple of... Ver- he discovered that truth for himself. I knew the answer. But there's power when they discover that for themselves. So they just don't swallow someone else's platitude, someone else's bumper sticker. Their hearts are engaged. Guys, that's the power of God's word. To allow someone to hear the word of God for the first time. I'm presently writing something, but I'm writing it, and one, one of my characters I'm writing about is that this person has never read the Bible so I get to talk through her as if someone has never read her first experience of reading this for herself and what she's, as, as what she's going through. Things that we would probably not see or take for granted because we've heard it a hundred times, but a person who's there for the first time. Number three, we grow by admitting and struggling with our humanity, not denying our limitations or hiding our fears. I love the Bible because it's packed with stories of people who doubted, who people who couldn't trust God. I mean, the big ones. You, you think if you're going to write a fake book, you don't include that stuff. You just, everyone's following God. Everyone's perfect. Everything, you can be too. No. Abram, could, he didn't trust God. Elijah didn't trust God. Thomas didn't trust God. Notice I picked all males. I didn't want to throw any females under the bus there. Bible's full of people who, not for a moment in time, for a long time, doubted. And Jesus was gentle with all of them because in darkness and doubt and pain, Jesus sends promises that will sustain. And I say, when? Don't know. How? Can't tell you. 
It could be while you're sitting there reading the Bible. It could be you're sitting out back in the backyard looking for yellow butterflies. It could be driving a car, mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden, ding, the light goes on. But I promise you, eventually it will. And when we're talking about going through the wilderness, they said the first rule, guys, in a wilderness is don't stop walking. Don't, don't just doubt it. Say, screw it. I'm just not going to figure this out. Take it. Walk with it. Search. Pray. Read the Psalms. How many times, David? Where are you, God? I, I don't hear you. I don't feel you. I don't sense you. Over and over and over again. And all those times was when he's being chased, when he's being hunted down, when he's in agony over sin, all of them. It was not when everything was great. Where are you, God? It was during the darkness, doubt, and pain. There's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman um, that he wrote for a, some friends of his who lost a child. And I... I read this song, the lyrics of it at many a funeral, and some of you may have been at a funeral where I've read this. I just recently read it from my friend Paul a couple weeks ago. And the song is called With Hope. This is not at all how we thought it was supposed to be. We had so many plans for you, and we had so many dreams. And now you're gone, you have gone away and have left, left us with the memories of your smile. And nothing we can say and nothing we can do can take the, away the pain, the pain of losing you. So we say goodbye with hope. Because we know our goodbye is not the end and we grieve with hope. Because we believe with hope. There's a place of God's grace. There's a place where we will see your face again. And never have I known anything so hard to understand. And never have I questioned more the wisdom of God's plan. How many times I have sat there. Why did this have to happen? Why did this have to take place? Where I wondered about the wisdom of God's plan. But we have this hope as an anchor because we believe that everything God promised us is true, even though I may not be able to experience it right then. So we wait with hope. ache with hope and we hold with hope and we let go with hope. Soon after the disciples returned to talk to John, Herodias got her way and had John beheaded. I mean, there was no fanfare. There was just, I want his head on a silver platter now. And we know nothing, no last words of John. The order was given, the execution took his sword, cut, chopped off his head, and brought the platter to Herodias and the daughter. 
But John, at that last moment, knew what he had come to do, he had done, and he had done well. Guys, we all have a purpose in life. We all have a reason why we're taking breath. Um, that's when you pray and ask God, if you don't know what that is, then make that your life goal. Because in that, when you realize why you exist, why you're here, that is true freedom that nothing can take away, even the hardest doubts. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are a God who is patient with us, who has even forgiven our sins that we haven't committed yet. Now, yeah, we have to ask for forgiveness for them, but you paid the price for all those, even our doubts. And thank you how you treated John. You, you gave him exactly what he needed to hear. May that be true in us. Father, if there are those who are doubting here today, maybe life's circumstances has thrown them in a place that they never thought they would be. Father, I pray they would lean in on you. They would bring your, their questions to you, their doubts. You're a big God. You can take it. But, Father, that you, much like you did with John, would send the answer in your time and in your way. And I know it's never in my timing, and it's not usually how I would want it to be said, but you have always been faithful. And that's what, is placed in. This I pray in Jesus' name.